Hello. Hello. Hey, How are you? I'm good, thanks. It's nice right. to see you this week. It's always good to see you, Jack. It's cool, isn't it, doing this, getting to kind of just like touch base each week about something? Uh, do you know what? It's class. I'm actually loving the people that we're getting to talk to. Who have you been talking to this week, actually? Well, well actually, before we get stuck into it, I wanted to ask you, I thought about something. What Go is on. the last meal you had? I actually had some pad thai for lunch. Pad thai? Nice. Where'd you get yeah. that? Yeah. There is this amazing uh, lady who lives in Carrigaline. Juan O'Sullivan is her name. She's from Thailand. And she actually made it for my nephew's seventh birthday at the weekend. And she did some spring rolls. And that's what I had. I had it left over. And guess what I had on top of it? Did you really? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> People are listening now and they're going, what is she talking about? Yeah. I had white masu. Okay, this wasn't lined up. Okay, so today... This was not lined up, but that is so funny because that's what this week's episode is about. I well, can't believe when, I gave it away. When I talk about the popularity of this condiment, that's just proof of that. So... Today we're talking to Katie Sanderson, the founder of White Mouse Sioux. White Mouse Sioux is a micro company based in Dublin that makes top shelf Asian inspired condiments. You have probably seen it in independent food shops or in many other different types of uh, food places. It is a white jar with a little blue mouse drawn on it. There are several different uh, versions of sauces and condiments that Katie makes. So we took a little virtual trip over to Clifton where Katie Jasper and their son Rui uh, spend a lot of their time to hear about the products they make inspired from the whole other side of the world. But before we do, let's just have a really quick ad and then let's jump into the interview. You are listening to the Neighbour Food Podcast. Now you may be wondering, how can I set up a neighbour food collection point in my town? Our local markets are managed by local hosts. A host can be someone in the food industry a producer themselves, or someone like me who just really loves finding and sharing great food. The role of the host is to gather the producers, promote to customers, and manage the weekly collection point. Hosts also receive 10% of the revenue of their market for all their hard work. Hosting a neighbour food market is a great way to build a resilient local food community where you live. Keep spending local and bring better food to your neighbours. So find out more about coming a host at neighbourfood.ie or neighbourfood.co.uk. Katie, where are you? Where am I? Yeah. I am in an office in Connemara, looking out to a pretty, pretty dull and rainy day. Okay, Connemara. Do you want to tell us how you ended up in Connemara? Um, yeah, so I've been here about a year. Um, I did the first lockdown in Dublin. Um, We kind of had this choice whether we were going to grow our our little company or just kind of pick up sticks and and head west. And we decided to stay and and to kind of expand. And we moved in to the European market and stuff, well, into the UK market. And um, it was a really good move. But at the same time, um, I knew that from a point of view of not having very much outside space and kind of being stuck in the city that it was definitely the wrong place for me, like personally um, to be. So as soon as that lockdown ended, we picked up sticks and and came West. <laughs> um, okay, amazing. Can, can we talk a small bit first about White Mouse Sioux? Can you explain to us what White Mouse Sioux is? Um, White Mouse is a company that we started about four years. Well, I, I started about four years ago and my partner Jasper came in pretty soon afterwards. 
Um, it started as a um, as kind of more of a project, um, although I did kind of have um, I did have high hopes for it, and I kind of knew I, I could see I could see it kind of doing well. Um, but it, it came from um, many years of working very um, uh, like kind of on project based things that only lasted a few months, and kind of knowing as I was getting older that I needed something a bit more sustainable to run alongside that other work. Um, so White Mouse, who started as a monthly market stall where um, I basically sold the, the sources that I used to bring to different events um, to people. Um, and um, it started as that and it kind of became a condiment brand that um, focuses in on at the start. It was more Japanese focused. And now there's a little bit more of kind of different cuisines coming in as well. Um but yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> well, I have to say from a customer's point of view, like it's definitely been the most exciting product release of the last couple of years in Ireland because you just see it creep more and more and more into all your different group of friends. And suddenly everyone, you know, seems to have a jar of it at home. And what I really love about it is that sometimes when something unusual comes out, you have a lot of people asking, how do I use it? Whereas with White Mouse Sue, you seem to more have people like, sharing how they're using it do you find that do you find that you have a lot of people being like I just put it on this and it's amazing yeah I feel like um we're very lucky in that we 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 kind of landed on a product and a and a kind of uh at the right time in the right place where people like it, it's been a very easy sell um people shared it far and wide um social media helped us immensely um but you're totally right like nail on the head there it 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 um the shops just kind of saw other shops having it and then people just saw other people having it and people kind of, it was what I wanted in the end. It was, it was this idea that like sometimes you don't need very much, but if you've got a really good source and some good produce, you can make a meal. And I think people were getting as excited as I used to get from like making all these yummy sauces and putting them on, you know, just asparagus or just peas or something. And people were getting so excited and feeling, I think a little bit kind of chefy or like kind of, you know, um, like they were getting they were getting a really good reaction to it so that excitement then they'd kind of share that and mm. um so people did lots of the work for us which was great you know yeah. <laughs> um yeah like your your i assume i think it was your first release which was probably the most popular that i felt i was hearing people talk about which is the peanut rayu what's yeah. your favorite way to eat that yourself um well, I've moved black beans now. Definitely my my favorite. Okay, black bean is completely my favorite as well. <laughs> just because it's got a lot more spice, and um, I just love chili. But um, the peanut ray, my to be honest, my all time favorite way of eating it, and this is such a like um, after a long shift, like in a restaurant kind of a thing, is like boiling a bag of peas and throwing it on top because it's like so simple, but it's kind of like still getting some veggies in and stuff. But um, yeah, you can't really go wrong with a bowl of rice either, like that kind of that 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 mix um but i'm i'm my my firm favorite's black bean <laughs> yeah me too definitely so i'm ordering it i don't know if you know this but i'm ordering it in in cases to get shipped over to me in italy nice. and i'm sharing and i'm bringing jars to people when we go for dinner in their house being like, hey check this out try this out you know and then the problem now is that they're kind of coming back to me being like do you have another jar or you know so i am pushing people onto your website but i think they're using me as a dealer still but I think I need to push them to source. So I'm going to start sharing out being like, it's time you guys hooked up yourself and you can start giving me back jars now. <laughs> oh, that's so, that's so nice to hear. It, it, 
that's the other thing that kind of happened with it, which again was like a kind of accident, which when we, I think it, it, it's it's a lot down to the design, I'm guessing, and it, it that's Trevor kind of from Revert Design, but it was like this idea of making something that looked really nice so that you could kind of take the place of like, obviously you can't really ever take the place of wine, but um, mm-hmm. that people would bring a jar over to people's houses for dinner or like gift it to people. And I know I hadn't really kind of seen that happen before, but with when we started our business, so many people said like, my friend brought some over for dinner or um, someone gave me some as a present or someone put it in a stocking. And it was like, somehow we managed to kind of jar something that people wanted to gift um, without kind of extra packaging and stuff, you know? And um, there was this one one great story one time where someone was saying that he was a theater director and he'd opened a new show and someone brought in and she was very excited because she was bringing him in this like jar of this like new thing and she didn't think he would have tried it. And he said, you can put it on the table with the others. And she was the seventh person to have gifted him the sauce. Um, I love that story. Like, it always okay, gets yeah, that's me, amazing. but it was just, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I think you're absolutely right. Like, it does transition past, like, you would never give another condiment as a gift to someone. But you would give, but you would give like an ing- a really nice ingredient. So I think it's 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 somewhere between ingredient and condiment, because like a jar of pesto is an amazing gift for someone, a good jar, maybe one yeah. you made yourself. It's it's a condiment, but it's not. It's really kind of more of an ingredient. So I think that your condiments fall into that kind of bracket of being more than a condiment. And actually, sorry, I have one other thing to say. Your peanut rayu, you know, your you make your sauces properly. You make them fresh. They're not with additives, so they they do tire after. You know, they're best before, and then they get tired. The peanut rayu, when it's tired, is I just spoon it into soups, yeah. And it's just a perfect way to, you know, I might not be having it on broccoli or whatever anymore, but I spoon it so I never waste a drop. Basically, that's nice <laughs> to hear. <laughs> so, I wanted to go back because the Asian influence of white mouse sue is part of your your life and you know people might not realize but you you were born in hong kong can you kind of tell us a little bit about your the earlier part of your life and your childhood um yeah so yeah i was born 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 over in hong kong as you say and um had this kind of um two worlds where i grew i i spent my summers on the west coast of ireland um here in connemara picking blackberries and winkles and being in rock pools and then spent my school years and kind of all the rest of my time in a really busy Hong Kong, um, which was so amazing. And I feel like has formed so much of who I kind of am. Um, it was, it's interesting with the, with, with the white mouse and the kind of connection, because um, I think after kind of doing uh, lots of kind of Irish based projects here, I, I suddenly just started going back into kind of Asian food again, which I hadn't really kind of been using in my own food and my own cooking and um I started being really interested in um like um more Japanese preparations and Chinese food and I was just researching loads of different areas um so there was a Japanese lady living in Dublin called Azu and she was selling a tabare which is a Japanese chili oil based on kind of a Chinese chili oil but it's the Japanese version and um uh, I was so inspired by the fact she was putting so much love into the sauce and I think it sparked a little bit of a kind of idea somewhere right in the back of my head. Um, and it wasn't until years later she'd stopped selling and stuff that we kind of started our journey. But um, that, when I tasted it, Ashling Rogerson, who works in the Fumbly, had brought some into the kitchen. 
and I tasted it and it was like a taste memory explosion. I was like, this is like what it tasted like being a child and, and growing up. And it was it was this familiarity of the kind of chili oils that you'd find on like loads of the restaurant tables and stuff um, as a young kid in Hong Kong. And um, that mixed with kind of a few other, you know, just life kind of happening all at the same time. I got the opportunity to work with Takashi Miyazaki and like different kind of things happening. And I, I was kind of on this role. And so that, so, so that was kind of the, the Asian kind of food coming back into my life. And then when we, when the business kind of needed an identity and stuff, that was a bit more complicated because in one way I was thinking of kind of having a Hong Kong influence, like calling it a name that made sense with Hong Kong. Um, but it felt really wrong to cut the, as like Azu's kind of, um, part of the story out of it and so even though I had this connection to Hong Kong and even though like it's where I grew up and stuff it felt wrong to just kind of sidetrack her and so as a kind of nod to that and that kind of happening um, we decided to have like a Japanese kind of inspiration within the design of the of the business and stuff so yeah beautiful and the design is really beautiful and it's very unique when you compare it to any other jar you'd find in the same shops you mentioned earlier who, who did the design um that's trevor finnegan from reverse um yeah it, it was an amazing process actually working with trev right at the start because we i, I remember we had both done once we decided that we were kind of going to go a japanese route we'd both done pinterest boards and there was, you know, there was hundreds and hundreds of pins and so many of ours were similar. Mm. And so we kind of knew we were on the right, you know, we were in the right place um, with it. Um, someone said to me recently, they think it's like the amount of white space on the jar um, just made it stand out um, yeah. that, that it wasn't overcomplicated. So I don't yeah, know if my, that's it, but yeah. My mom is a friend who's a, a very well-known graphic designer and he, he has a couple of kids and he, when his daughter was seven she kind of presented a piece of a painting a piece of work that she had done to my mum and mum said well this is amazing and, and um you know are you gonna fin finish it and the seven-year-old's response was white is the most powerful color you can put on a page <laughs> <laughs> wise little chicken absolutely so after okay so sorry just to catch up on the kind of timeline here so you were spending time in Connemara and you were living in in Hong Kong as well when did you kind of come back to Ireland full time? Was it kind of college, college time? No, it was actually kind of secondary school halfway through. Okay. Um, yeah, around around yeah halfway through secondary school, we came back kind of fully as a family, um, and then we were my mum and um, family were kind of based in Dublin, um, but actually between Dublin and the West. So there's always kind of been that trying to get back to the West <laughs> for all of us, I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I. So I met you probably 10 years ago, maybe? Yeah, Carrie. I'd say about that, yeah. Carrie, Carrie and I were kind of in school together and she was working with you and she was telling me all about you and I was seeing things and then eventually we got to meet. Around that time, you were doing loads of pop-up events, doing a little bit of chefing in the Fumbly with Ashling and Luca. Um, tell us a little bit about that period of time. Um, yeah, I will. I have to say that the first time I met you, you were doing your stall for the rocket, the the rocket food in Ballymaloo. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, if I ever have a stall, I need to make it look as cool as as, as that one. Does. Oh, um, thank you. Yeah. 
um, I was really inspired by it. Just that there was like cow hides and different and the salad bowls and it was just really considered. Um, yeah, I cow really... hides and vegan food. That was the theme of that store. <laughs> <laughs> well, it definitely left an impression on me anyway. Um, Good. Uh, yeah, that was that was such a lovely time back in the kind of fumbly days. Um, I had, I before that I was I was working in I'd say kind of normal food like I felt like I'd done a ski season I'd I'd done catering I'd kind of done all the stuff and I knew that I either needed to kind of switch things at, up or get out like it just didn't feel totally right anymore um I also knew that restaurants like in a kind of conventional sense weren't really where I knew I was going to flourish um under pressure not great and um anyway I stumbled upon the fumbly at a similar time that I'd started doing these projects, living dinners, which were kind of raw food pop-ups. And the Fumbly was this like place that there wasn't this hierarchy and you could kind of go in and it was all about like letting you kind of explore. And I just felt like I was a kid in a toy shop. Like I was just like, this is incredible. I can just like come up with a dish and put it on and, you know, see how it goes. And there, there wasn't, there wasn't pressure for it to kind of succeed and stuff, but I always find that when there's less pressure, I kind of want to prove more or something. Um, and it was just a really fun time. Uh, it was. I, I also met Jasper, my my kind of now partner, partner and business partner um, in those first kind of few days working in the Fumbly. So that was also quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah, I think Ash and Luca as well. They just, they were... Um, they were like magnets for like the same kind of food people that I felt like I was at the time. So like the people that I was working with were kind of like Shane from Scale Bakery, Keith Coleman, um, Marek from Village Pizzas, Jasper O'Connor. Like it was just like, there was an, an amazing Mexican chef called Jesse. Like just, it's like all of the people that I feel like now are doing really amazing things in food and in, in Ireland. We were all in a kitchen together, just like, making making amazing stuff and having the crack and having pints in the evening and it was it was just such a cool time mm, that's really nice will we talk a tiny bit about jasper <laughs> sure <laughs> you're keeping him busy so jasper is an amazing guy he's also a great cook a great food person and the two of you are doing white masu together yeah correct correct yes. yeah i'd say jasper is a bit more well, uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. He's been he's been a lot more involved in the last year or two than I than I would have been just with kind of, you know, with COVID and lockdowns and childcare and that kind of thing. But yeah, I would say we, we work together, but I, I would have to give him the credit for working a bit harder. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. but it, it's a great. OK, and you guys, you guys have a son, Rui. Yeah. And, um, and then a little what, one on the way. Yeah. And Rui will have a job, obviously, in White Masu as well at some point. Yeah. Collecting cash at the market stall or something like that. <laughs> Hopefully one day. <laughs> okay. Well, in particular, let's just chat for a second on Dillisk because Dillisk was for me the first time that I actually tasted your food. It was an incredible experience. It was a beautiful setting. Can you explain a little bit more about that project for anyone who didn't get to experience it? Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. And I can talk about Jasper kind of linked in with that because <laughs> Um, when I met Jas in the Fumbly, um, I remember kind of being like, who is this guy? But um, also he had connections to the West of Ireland and in particular to kind of a beach that was really um, not not 
not kind of like one of the obvious ones down here called Anchor Beach. And he told me that he lived right beside it. And I couldn't believe the kind of the the chances of that. And after a few months and kind of a few months of summer and um, stuff like that, we decided that we'd go down and we would, it started off as an idea that we would rent a little house and maybe cook for like four to five people a night and kind of have this like really easy breezy summer while like cooking some cockles. Um, it materialized into something quite a lot bigger than that. Um, the first time we went down and we we stayed with his parents, there was an old boat shed um, on their land and they live right right on the coast in this like beautiful little spot and this boat shed that had kind of been it had the curric and stuff in it it was very much a boat shed um we we had a we went walking around and we had a glass of wine and we sat in it and we knew straight away we kind of looked at each other and we were like this is this is what we're doing for summer (laughs) (laughs) and so we had to go about renovating like a donkey shed which like still had donkeys in it at the time into like a kind of makeshift kitchen and um making quite a quirky kind of restaurant set up for the summer um and we definitely didn't have an easy breezy summer um we did cook lots of cockles and we cooked lots of other things um but it was definitely like one of the best experiences I've had as a cook um probably like one of the one of the projects I'm most proud of um and we hauled all the friends down from Dublin and we had different people coming in different weekends and we did like three or four nights of the week and it was just kind of magic there wasn't that much kind of 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 kind of pop-up stuff at the time so it was still like a relatively new kind of concept I think in the grand scheme of things and we knew that we couldn't like afford to have any people like not showing up because Mm -hmm. we were in the middle of nowhere and we wouldn't be able to we didn't have the manpower to kind of fill it again um and so we had to put all the tickets on sale so we kind of did that in two lots and the first lot we put on it was kind of people that had kind of been to other pop-ups that I'd done and friends and family of both of ours um but after the first weekend of that kind of the first weekend we kind of sold out for pretty much the rest of the summer the word got out pretty quickly because I remember I didn't get a ticket and I ended up having to kind of barter one from somebody else and offer some thing massive or I can't remember how but I managed to get a ticket and I actually I came twice to you in the end because I think I yeah. came at the end of the summer too so my experience experience of Dillisk was also coming from Cork so you had like five and a half hours in a car which is not somewhere we usually go so for me it was like a whole new kind of landscape and you were going up through Blair and then coming over out towards Clifton which is a really beautiful drive and kind of arriving there as the sun was kind of setting we came in and there was a tandoor Mm-hmm. just kind of outside where you you sit around where we took a drink relaxed and came in and I remember in particular the first thing I ate was a piece of mackerel raw mackerel but it wasn't like ceviche or anything it was just kind of pressed onto a slate yeah it was really beautiful and speaking about like impactful that was definitely an incredible food experience for me and also just kind of the adventure and seeing the space for anyone who doesn't really who hadn't heard about this or might be just hearing about it for the first time there was obviously kind of a build element to this as well as the food element to it so how long were you guys actually working on it to 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 make it a usable space it well, yeah we did we definitely built like we definitely did a bit of like that the, the shed needs to be insulated was probably the biggest thing and painted and that kind of stuff and and that we needed to make like a a, a kitchen of sorts um but uh it wasn't you know we could have gone a lot 
we could have gone a lot further and made it really snazzy, but we really wanted to, well, I really wanted to keep that rusticness. And, mm. and so did Jas because it kind of is what made it feel so special. Um, so, you know, it was, it was very much felt like you were in a boat shed or a cottage. And like when it started to get colder in September, you kind of knew about it, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, um, even though we had like a fire and stuff. Yeah. Like it was definitely, it was definitely rustic. Um, and, um, it was an interesting one, you know, like it was like, our kitchen was definitely like, everything was totally like above board and we put in tiles and everything like that. But, um, there was like an open kind of cottage wall, you know, with like, like open stone on one side of the kitchen and I remember the HSE officer coming in and being like um <laughs> and um yeah it was just it was it was definitely a bit of an experience and and stuff like that you know Jas really had always had this dream of building a tandor and he um built this tandor that could go up to like really high um really high degrees and it it definitely wasn't the kind of sort of project where like you you know, everything was going to be the same night after night because we'd made it in a way that we were doing kind of certain cooking techniques and different things that were like very much like it was very, you're kind of winging it in some ways, you know. Um, and like even little things like we'd pick up the Pollock fresh every day, but the boats would only come in at six and our guests came at seven. Mm. So we would be like racing down to the pier, picking up the fish, filling it as the guests came. And then we'd be putting it on these like big, long sticks to go into the tandoor. And sometimes they'd come out and they were like perfectly evenly cooked and other times they had to go back in and sometimes you get like a really nice black crispy skin and other times it would it wouldn't be totally that and there was definitely like you know you couldn't you didn't have that like consistency that a lot of the time people are striving for but within that there's quite a lot of magic you know do you feel like you do your best cooking when it's limited like that um i definitely think limitations like for, for us for that for that project we we didn't say like no ingredients that aren't Irish, but we kind of were like, we don't, even though I was cooking, I'd started that kind of, um, you know, Japanese, Chinese, Korean kind of inspiration. I was cooking that for staff meals, but for um, for like Dillisk, it, it was more like a feeling. It was like, does this feel like it's from here? And mm. you could use an ingredient that wasn't, but the limitation of that, I believe made stuff like food come out of us and the, cooks that were working with us that like wouldn't have come out otherwise you know and it's one thing I kind of consider is like whether I'd like to do a project or a restaurant again and I, I sometimes worry that if I didn't I'd regret this chance to have kind of the opportunity where like food comes out of you like that where it's like mm. it's it's somewhere deep inside you that kind of place where you like make new dishes mm. and I think it has to be kind of like a consistent thing and I think that limitation really helps whatever those limitations may be to would, make would you yeah. Would you think, and, and this isn't asking you, would you do this, but do you think maybe the the kind of food truck revolution thing that's happening is going to bring that same energy out of chefs who have been stifled in kitchens for a long time? Yeah, I love I love all the food trucks ever. I think it's great. Like I, I don't haven't heard of that many people that have got, gone from a restaurant to a food truck. So I'd be really interested to know how they feel like with mm -hmm. without the restrictions of like bricks and mortar. Um, lots of the food trucks that are down here anyway it's like young people who you know don't want the restrictions of the bricks and mortar yet but maybe you're kind of like trying something out and you know even like for example there's a great cheese toasty place down here called um good stuff and like they're making such yummy toasties and I love that they're just like 
you know, their restrictions is that they're, it's a toasty menu, but yet within mm. that, then they've got all this room to play. And I, mm. I love that idea. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. What is your most f- memorable food moment? Ooh, oh, I've got like loads of things zapping in my head. <laughs> share, share, share a few annoying, like annoying question. Um, there was a plate of tomatoes that I had in San, uh, in San Sebastian, um, in, I just forgot the name of it there. It begins with N. It will come back to me. Um, and it was just so simple and so good. And it was kind of after, um, I'd, it was after a few years of kind of being very into like what was happening in, um, you know, um, Copenhagen and Denmark and different places where the, you know, the food was so like intrinsic and stuff. And it, it just reminded me that like, a plate of tomatoes with salt and olive oil is can be really where it's at sometimes, you know. Um, the other thing that came flying into my head there was was more. It was it wasn't one that I ate. It was one that I kind of cooked on, which was my experience cooking for dancers. In um, I've done it twice now, but I I, I work for a dance company called Chuck Dasa, and I cook for the dancers while they're making work. And there's something about fueling the dancers to make a show that just gives me like heebie-jeebies I love it so much we Um, spoke okay so we spoke because I also worked with this particular group but not in a chefing in a catering capacity I looked after them at an event and we were chatting about it and when you told me like I knew exactly what you meant dancers are athletes so they're like eating in the spirit of creativity but they really need to eat and they really want to eat and they really appreciate it so when you described it to me I completely knew what you meant that like it must have been so pleasurable having because I know that group that you're talking about for Swan Lake and they're an amazing bunch of people yeah maybe tell us a little bit more about because it is it is an incredible thing to take because you know chefs make meals that you delight at for two to three hours and then you go home and you go back to your fridge and you go back to having the the but catering for a person for a longer period of time is kind of a, a like it's a very particular way of thinking you're looking at the nutritional element you're looking at variety but you're looking at comfort and and not necessarily excitement but also keeping people interested can you tell us a little bit about the like why you enjoyed that so much Oh, I think it's like multifaceted, but one one of the, the, the part that the kitchen feels quite like mothering, you know, because you're thinking, as you say, you're thinking about them from a point of view of like, let's say it's it's eight to 10 weeks, the kind of the the, the time that you're, you're you're cooking for them. And so, you know, you're kind of thinking of like, oh, well, they've probably had a little too much of that kind of stuff recently. So I'll probably put this in today and maybe I'll try and get some protein in through this tofu or um, and that that feels very like the same way that I feel like cooking for a kid feels sometimes is that you're kind of trying to get the good stuff in, you know, um, but mm. also you want the enjoyment and the fun of cooking for people. So um, it's definitely easier cooking for them than for kids, though. <laughs> but um, I think the other thing was, is that it was just it, it was it was it was cooking. And then like a lot of the time in the afternoon, I'd go into the practice room and and watch them. And it was like you could almost see the food as energy. You know, you, you'd you, you'd you'd nurtured, you'd you'd given lunch, and then you were watching that food become like movement. Um, mm. And you know, you can obviously, obviously, like you know, any they're, they're dancers. That's what they do. But it, it was the feelings that you got that um, maybe with some with certain people they kind of say like I think that I've got more energy or I think that I've got you know I'm able to dance more in the afternoon and stuff. And knowing that you actually had like um you had a part in kind of like 
helping them feel good in their bodies which is what no, they but more need. than that i think you you had a part and an impact and this is said from them as well an impact in the success of the residency and the work that was being done because it's really like i've worked on residency from a management point of view before and it's a really intense emotional time and the idea of not looking at the food as a really integral important part of kind of keeping everybody together the conviviality of it but also like just the kind of grounding element of keeping keeping it going in a good mm. way um yeah it's uh no it, it, i was super super intrigued when you were telling me about it uh mm. i'd love to like i'd love to do that for my yeah. career it's yeah i not I, I definitely think there's sorry no no go you go ahead i i definitely <laughs> feel like there's more space for people to like think about food you know for, for different jobs like that like you know for theater production for you know uh, festivals would be quite good at kind of having a crew to cook but it, you know when, especially when you're like making work using your body or like I've, I've also cooked for like an opera show and stuff but it I, I do think there's more space for more people to kind of take the food aspect of it a bit more a bit more like seriously because you know if, if you're trying to do all this work and a lot of the time you're away from home and you know you're you're uprooted the one thing that you can do is you can bring people together. And when you bring people together in a room to eat, no matter what the day's been like, I think it changes the total energy of the of, mm. of the space, you know? Mm. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Okay, just one more quick little thing to chat about before we move, okay? Um, considering Irish food culture, what would be your... Um, Rather than because the question that we have here is what are your hopes for the future of Irish food? But let's simplify it down a small little bit and kind of say, where do you imagine that Irish food is going? Because as a culture, it's evolving faster, you know, than than 95% of other countries. The Irish food culture is evolving really quickly and it's very exciting. Take that from someone who's living in one of the oldest food cultures in the world. Mm. You know, it can often be very tired here in Italy. What is in your opinion, the excitement? Where do you see things in the next five years going in, in Ireland? Um, I don't know. I, I Similarly is what you said. Like, I feel like it's already on such a good trajectory and I just hope that it stays on that path. Um, I think that what's, what, what I feel like is happening at the moment, which um, I don't know, I don't feel like I have my finger on the pulse quite as much as I did a few years ago, but it feels to me like there's, there's, there's there's a really good mix of like kind of people who want to work in food and on food like kind of in restaurants food trucks and stuff but also people that are working on the ingredients you know so mm. coming up with new let's say like mexican tortillas you know made with corn grown in ireland and this kind of you know the blanco nino guys and this kind of idea that the ingredients are also moving along and the the, the kind of like the farmers and the stuff there's younger people coming into mm. those and you know, doing things differently and maybe more organically and more dynamically, as well as the kind of people working on food means that it's it's happening like fast, kind of like in a volcano type of a way. Um, and yeah, I hope that just continues to grow. I think also in the last few years, and then again with, with COVID, I just feel like there has been that thing where it's like buy local and, you know, and support like businesses on the ground. And that support, I think, can make such a difference to people succeeding you know mm -hmm. at the end of the day so I think yeah. that's important too well what I always advise advise and I'm kind of a little bit sick of the support local being the message that's being sent it's more that like by engaging in local you have a way more enjoyable way of spending your money <laughs> it you know engage locally buy things locally and 
you're not just paying for the product, you know, you're also engaging with a different community, learning more about your community and discovering different things that are happening within your community as well. So by buying local, it's much more than the the commercial transaction. You're actually getting away from the streamlined effect that a supermarket can have, where it's just the same things being purchased over and over, the homogenization of taste that can end up happening when you get stuck in a rush of, of being forced into kind of a supermarket type flavor. Um, and by going in locally, it's, it's just interesting. You know, it's more fun. Yeah, and more everybody. inspiring. Even if food isn't the thing you're obsessed with, it's, it's, it's just a more enjoyable way to live your life when you can actually pick up different things in different places, you know? Totally. Um, okay, to wrap up, uh, can you quickly run through where people can get their hands on White Mouse Sioux? Oh, yeah. So we, we, we have um, our, our website's the best place to go to because we actually have about seven. I think we've got close to 750 stockists now. So quite, quite a few. Wow. Um, but um, yeah, so website and lots of the we're, we're basically we're in lots of the independents and the kind of the family run businesses um, uh, with yourselves and lots of the markets. And um, yeah. Yeah, and it's growing all the time. So um, we're in lots of places over in the UK now as well, which is just great. Yeah, so check out the website maybe to see about finding a stockist. Um, whereabouts are you in the UK? Because I, I didn't know that. Um, again, loads of different places. Like we, uh, it was kind of Instagram being the kind of help, like lots of fishmongers, butchers, independents, um, and then some of the bigger ones like Dalesford and um we're in some like Harvey Nicks and that kind of stuff as well. So lots of different variations over there. Cool. Well, very exciting. Yeah. Thank you so much, Katie. Um, thanks so much, guys. Thanks a million <laughs> for having me on. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for bringing us on the journey to listen to Katie and hear about all her adventures. It's always so good to just see what's going on around and uh, listen to all these Irish amazing inspirational food stories. Yeah, and keep an eye out as well if Katie does some more pop-ups. I, I don't know if you caught that because I actually missed it in the interview, but she's having another baby in November, so it might be a little while before we see her doing another I event. I can't but believe you missed that one. That is huge. <laughs> but when the um, when she can, and if you get a chance, they're, they're really something special and really worth going to. So um, thanks very much. A huge thank you to you, Jolene. Oh, what, what did yeah. I do for you this week? Like it's just nice to be nice so uh, also thanks to peter broderick who did our theme music and um hit subscribe there are more podcasts up there for you to listen to so check back through them and um we'll see you again next week great